Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I am your host, Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide. Today I am kicking off a little mini-series on abuse. I have with me today Beverly Engel, and we're going to be talking about emotional abuse. Next week, I have Leslie Morgan Steiner is coming back on. We're going to be talking about domestic violence. Then I have an episode on financial abuse and an episode with Bill Eddy talking about how to communicate with a high-conflict co-parent. So stick around (laughs) for the next few episodes. But we're kicking off today with Beverly Engel, who has just written a new book called Escaping Emotional Abuse, Healing from the Shame You Don't Deserve. And oh my gosh. So Beverly is an internationally recognized psychotherapist and an acclaimed advocate for victims of sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. And in her book, she offers a compassionate source book, on how to heal from the trauma and pain of psychological abuse. It is, it's a fantastic book. I can't recommend it highly enough. Physical abuse is an attack on the body, and we will talk about that next week. Emotional abuse is a deep and insidious attack on the psyche and the soul, and it causes the victim to question the truth about themselves, to doubt their worthiness as a person and their ability to satisfy a partner even the capacity to love. So in this book, Escaping Emotional Abuse, Beverly Engel writes that in her three decades of practice, she's found that emotional abuse and specifically shame are more harmful than physical abuse. So I I don't want to give too much away because I think we cover it all in this episode, but stay tuned because this this is a really important one. It is a hard one. Even if you are not sure, if you're not sure you're being emotionally abused, definitely listen in. Even if you don't think you're being emotionally abused, but like, you know, you should listen to this because here's the deal. More of us need to know about this, whether it's happening to us or not. This needs to be talked about more. The only way that we can stop this kind of abuse or any kind of abuse from happening to more and more women and people in general is to talk about what it is and what it looks like so we can name it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Beverly Engel. Beverly, thank you so much for joining us. I can't tell you what an honor it is to have you on the podcast talking about all things emotional abuse. Yes, well, I'm glad to be here. I'm eager to talk with you. So uh, you have this, you have a new book coming out, which is what we're going to definitely talk about, about what it's called Escaping Emotional Abuse, Healing from the Shame You Don't Deserve, which I just love. (laughs) What a great, what a great title. Yeah, thank you. So first of all, I think I just want to break down like, what is emotional abuse? Because I think that on the one hand, what I see in my practice, I don't, and I don't know about you, um, but what I see in my practice is a lot of people not recognizing that they're being emotionally abused. Right. And then I also see a lot of people calling things emotional abuse that aren't actually emotional abuse. <laughs> right. Like right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he's an asshole. Maybe he's not, you know, just not very nice or whatever, but he's, this isn't abuse. Right. So let's, let's actually nail it down and define it if, if possible. Sure. Sure. Well, it, technically it's any non-physical act that is intended to control or intimidate or demean or punish or isolate or humiliate mm-hmm another person like the your partner specifically we're talking about in a in a relationship right. 
And it's like brainwashing in that it slowly erodes the victim's sense of self-worth and self-concept. And it also erodes the person's trust in themselves so that they begin to doubt their own reality. They doubt their own sanity at some points. And so it's a very insidious type of abuse. And it, like long-term, the long-term effects of it are devastating to a person. But it's really about control and humiliation. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, uh, that's a great definition. Super clear, super clear, right? And then, but part of the problem, I think, women, I, I speak for, I speak about women because that's who I work with, but men are victims of this as well. Yes. But because of the, its nature, right? Because of the fact that the gaslighting that comes into play with emotional abuse, because you're sort of told to not trust your own reality. Right. It's really hard to identify or to acknowledge or to even see. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the, I think that's one of the, one of the conundrums, right? One of the conundra that, that, right. that people face when dealing with this. How, 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 did, how do you square that? Or can we? Well, at, at some level, we can square it by, by looking at how, you, how you've been reacting, how it's been affecting you over time. Mm. And so I ask people to look, you know, to see signs of emotional abuse in themselves. One, a main one is depression. Uh-huh. People who are emotionally abused often are depressed. Yeah. Their confusion is another major effect of emotional abuse. Like you just mentioned the gaslighting. Yeah. The person becomes confused about what's right and what's wrong, what's real and what's false. They become very disoriented. Mm-hmm. They have a lack of motivation because at some point when you've tried and tried and tried to please someone, and you just can't seem to please them. You've tried to change yourself because most people who are being emotionally abused think that the problems in the relationship are their fault. They're told that, but they also believe it. And so they work really, really hard to correct their behavior or change their personality. And when nothing pleases their partner, they begin to have a lack of motivation. You know, why should I even try? Mm. They have difficulty concentrating. Difficulty making decisions, which are can be signs of depression. They're overwhelmed with feelings of failure, worthlessness, hopelessness. And they very often, as I mentioned, they're full of self-blame. And they eventually even become self-destructive. So if somebody's confused about whether or not they're being emotionally abused or not, you know, I ask them to look at their symptoms, look for the, the way they have been acting. I have an extensive list in the book of the types of emotional abuse. You know, we can go through some of them real briefly, but there are so many different types of emotional abuse. Again, I just ask people to to pay attention to how they feel. How do you feel in this relationship compared to how you felt before the relationship? How do you feel in this relationship compared to how you have felt in other relationships? Mm -hmm. Those are really, those can be telltale signs. But really looking at the different types of emotional abuse is really helpful because it is a, you know, it can be confusing. So really understanding what emotional abuse is and what the what form it takes is really important. I, I love that because, I mean, I know as someone who was in an emotionally abusive relationship, more than one actually, but one, <laughs> one because that tends to be how it goes, right? Right. That confusion and that that trying and trying and like oh, okay I'll just I'll do this or I'll go, I'll go to this therapist I'll take this course or I'll change myself this way I'll cut my hair I'll lose more weight I'll all of the things right and it's and it's never enough and that I just I just I'm sort of validating what you're saying from like that personal experience of just it never being enough and then trying more and then trying harder and before I knew it, I had I had lost tons of weight. I was on like crazy diet programs where I my blood pressure had dropped so low that I was almost hospitalized. I had gotten a boob job. Like I had there were like a million things that I tried wow. to do, right? Right. And I would love for you to, to to talk about the different kinds of emotional abuse because you know, in my situation, you know, it wasn't 
it was subtle demeaning, right? Because he's too smart. <laughs> he was too mm-hmm. smart to do it overtly or to tell me that I was stupid or incompetent. But that was the message, right. really clear. So let's let's talk about the different kinds of emotional abuse that that you talk about in the book. Okay. I think okay. it'll be really clarifying. Okay, one is unreasonable expectations. Mm. That's there's a underlying expectation by many abusers that you're supposed to center your entire life around them. Uh. That and you're <laughs> supposed to be available to them whenever they want mm. to engage with you. Yes. And, and so you're supposed to drop everything you're doing. If there's if he calls you, then you then you take the call no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. If he has a request that you do something, you drop everything you do and go do it. Right. Uh, so unreasonable expectations are really, really common. Yeah. And yes, the unreasonable expectation is that you're that you're perfect, that you're perfectly beautiful all the time, mm-hmm. that you're available to him sexually, no matter how you're feeling, mm-hmm. um, that you're willing to engage in any kind of sexual behavior that he wants, even if you find something disgusting, that you're supposed to just actually be there for his needs. That's unreasonable expectations. Mm -hmm. Adding to emotional, uh, unreasonable expectations is also to be there for them emotionally, no matter what, right? Like, yes, especially if you're dealing with a narcissist who just sort of has this sort of never ending bottomless pit of need that needs to be filled all the time. There's, you know, there can be like a rage if you don't fill it even though right. it's not fillable by you. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just sort of came to mind when you said unreasonable, uh, uh, you know, needing to be there no matter what, no matter when I thought, yeah, emotionally too. Right. Right. Yeah. And that you're supposed to support them all the time. Uh-huh. Never, di- never disagree with them for sure. Right. Always be on their side. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, if you dare to bring up that maybe there's something they could look at, you know, they're going to be just horrified. You're totally being non-supportive. You're supposed to be supportive of him, you know, all the time. And you mentioned the narcissist. He's, you're supposed to be there to build him up. Right. You're supposed to be there to, with compliments and accolades and telling him how wonderful he is, how smart he is, how handsome he is. So, yeah, that all goes under the unreasonable expectation category. Mm. So exhausting. Yes. Oh, Jesus. You're like no wonder we don't have energy for anything else in our lives, right? right. For ourselves, right. this the balance of of power and need and the output input is completely skewed, right? And if you do have another interest or have something else you want to do, then somehow you're kind of a traitor. Uh huh. You're, you're letting him down, and you're you're a traitor. You're supposed to only be interested in him and what he's doing. Yes. And the more subversive ones don't just call you a traitor and yell at you and get mad at you. They, they have a crisis, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> they, they have to go to the hospital or something. There's a, there's some kind of crisis that completely intercepts whatever it is that you were doing. If you go on Absolutely. and right. <laughs> Classic. Right. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. So what are some, what are some other kinds? The silent treatment is very, very common. Uh-huh. That's what abusers do. If you, again, some will yell at you, but others will just clam up and punish you with silence. Mm-hmm. Some will carry it to such an extreme that they won't talk to you for days yeah. or they'll lock themselves up in a room and not engage with you. Even if company comes, they yeah. will snub you and not talk to you. So silent treatment is a real good punishment. And And again, most victims will you know, beg and apologize and just twist themselves inside out to try to get the person to come back and pay attention to them or speak to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a really effective way of of sending the message that you should not be doing anything else in your life and you should never agree with them or whatever it is that made them angry. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, all of these, again, so exhausting, right? So exhausting. Right. It's funny, the silent treatment one. I know somebody whose mother didn't speak to her for literally a year. Mm -hmm. And she was a single mom, only child. And her mom didn't speak to her for a year because I think that 
she was dating somebody when she was, it was when she was 16, she was dating someone that she didn't approve of. And the mother was a total narcissist and really abusive, obviously <laughs> didn't speak right. to her daughter for a year. I mean, right. just how you even remember to keep that up is beyond. Yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. What other kinds are there? Well, there's emotional blackmail and the most common form of that is threatening to leave you or threatening to withhold money or withhold sex or withhold affection. You know, basically it's you either do what I want or there's going to be a consequence. A real common one goes back to sex again. uh, And that is if you don't have sex with him, he might say something to you like, you know, if you don't have sex with me, I'll go find somebody who will. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't have the type of sex with me that I want, I'll go find somebody who will. That's a huge threat. Yeah. But the emotional blackmail is basically saying, if you don't do so-and-so, I'm going to punish you in this way. And it's very often they're threatening to leave. So people on the outside of these kinds of relationships, of course, right? The typical, well, then why do you stay? Or inside the relationship, we think, what's wrong with me? Right. I guess... That's a, that's, those are two completely separate questions, (laughs) but like, I guess I alluded to earlier, we get into these, actually, let's back up for a second. Are there more on that list? I think. Yeah. Let me list a couple more character assassination usually refers to doing something. Maybe even it's, it's outside the family. They will try to destroy your reputation. They'll try to destroy the way other people see you. Uh, I had one client who would go to her, he would go to her family Uh and complain about her. And he accused her of having an affair and he finally got the whole family, her whole family to believe him. And so they were all on his side. So that's a form of character assassination, or it can just be in the community um, among friends. He, he yeah. talks about her in a very negative way, complains about how much she drinks yeah. or how lazy she is or what a horrible mother she is. And sometimes that's done in front of other people Yes, that he will put her down. And so he's, he's trying to destroy her character. He's trying to destroy how people see her. So he will have more control over the situation. And it's an isolating tactic, right? I mean, all abusers, right? They they're big on they or not all abusers, but but isolation is a tactic as well. And that I think assassination is a is a tool. I know I work. I have clients. One client in particular who is Iranian, and her, you know, it's a very sort of insular community in the U.S., but like super. And because I guess because they're in the U.S., they have a very tight community and she was shunned and I have another client who had the same thing happen she's orthodox and uh same thing right so when you've got Mm -hmm. really tight especially religious or cultural communities that alienation or that bad mouthing is can be so the character assassination can be so devastating absolutely they have then they have no one right 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 it's partly a tool to try to get them back. Right. But it's like, cause it's like, well, if you come back, then everything will be fine. Right. Yes. Yes. You're not obeying me. Yeah. Um, What are some more? Like crossing boundaries or invasion of privacy, usually in the attempt to control and to find out exactly what's going on with you. So they will, they'll go so far as to go into your phone to look at your messages, go into the internet to find out who you've been communicating with, Yeah, uh, going into your drawers and looking for God knows what, but constantly in, you know, invading your privacy, constantly uh, spying on you. Uh, some will follow you when you say you're going to go out and go see a friend. They'll fo- actually follow you in the car mm-hmm. to, to, to see where you're going They'll park outside of your friend's house and for hours, just waiting to see if you're going to do something. So that's a very common one, too. You know, you could call that stalking or invasion of privacy. But again, it's all it's usually somebody who's very suspicious, who's constantly accusing you of being unfaithful, 
constantly accusing you of doing something wrong. That's a real common one. Yeah. And I see a lot women discovering that they've had trackers on their car. Yeah. Or they're, you know, using iPhone tracking software and Oh, I mean, I see, I can't, I can't tell you how often I see this. <laughs> it's yeah. Oh, yeah. Un, it's unbelievable. And what's even more unbelievable to me is how often I have to say, no, that's not okay. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. Right. That's abuse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a huge list. And then the book I go into detail about, it's kind of like almost an encyclopedia even giving examples of clients um, to to really help people get it, to really help them identify what's going on with them. Yeah, that's that's so great. That's so great. What is it that has us be in these like, you know, these these people didn't start out this way, right? The relationships didn't start out this way, right? There's right, that, right? right? But what is it that has people, women in particular? find themselves in these relationships? Well, I'll answer your question, but first I want to state really clearly mm-hmm. that in many, many cases, there's no answer to that. Okay. She or he didn't do anything. There's no history of abuse or, mm-hmm. or you know, in childhood. Anybody can be emotionally abused. Mm-hmm. Male, female, rich, poor, can be a woman who has a, you know, high-powered, career as making lots of money. Uh, It's not at all her fault or his fault. It's not the victim's fault. So that needs to be stated because when we talk about your history and what might have brought you to this relationship, we need to make sure we're not insinuating that somehow it's a character defect in you. Yes. No, absolutely. that, That brought this person into you. You didn't attract this person you did, you're not responsible for this at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what you're going to be responsible for is once you're educated, now you're going to be responsible for getting yourself healthy enough to leave. Okay. Yes. But you're not responsible for your choice or the fact that some this an abuser found you. And that that's another aspect of it is very often I divide abusers into unintentional and intentional. The intentional abuser is looking for somebody he can control. Mm-hmm. Again, we know it could be a female too, but it's more likely going to be a male. He's looking for somebody he can control and they can be extremely charming. They do what's commonly called love bombing nowadays, uh-huh. uh, which is to just be so charming. And, you know, you fall in love at first sight and he just tells you how beautiful you are and you're the best thing that ever happened to him. He's never known anybody like you. And it's hard not to fall in love with somebody like that. Yeah. This is, you know, he's buying your presence. He's yeah. This is like the dirty John syndrome, right? (laughs) Right. 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 They're amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. And so, you know, it's hard not to fall in love with someone like that. And when you're love, being love bombed, you tend to let your guard down and you tend to fall in love too quickly. You don't take time to get to know the person. Now, that's not blaming you for that mm-hmm. because it's hard to resist someone like that. It's like feels like once in a lifetime you meet somebody who's that wonderful. OK, and you feel attracted to him and he's telling you he wants to be with you and he's not like the typical guy who's resisting being monogamous. He's not the typical guy who's resisting marriage. He starts talking about marriage and kids and he wants to be monogamous right away. And so it's very hard to resist that, okay? Now, if we (laughs) add your history to this, okay? Uh Yeah. It's really hard because I don't want to blame the victim here at all. Right, I get that. Yep, I get it. Yeah, but if we have somebody who whose father abandoned her when she was very young. She never had a father. She's going to be probably more susceptible to the type of person who's going to be kind of fatherly toward her. Mm-hmm. He's going to maybe come in and and be a teacher in some way. Maybe he's a boss. Maybe he is your teacher. Maybe he, he's in a role of uh, an authority. Right. Okay. Maybe he's yeah. the pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's somebody who 
is known for, has been put on a pedestal by other people, and he's known for his wisdom, and he's taken you under his wing, and he's teaching you how to be in life. And, you know, it's very hard not to fall for someone like that, especially if you didn't have a father, right? Yes. So, yes, your history does have, is a factor. If you were abused in any way, emotionally, sexually, or verbally, you're going to probably not have the capacity to choose someone who's healthy. Mm. Okay. You'll have deficits in your personality, deficits in your in your perspective that will maybe be, you know, prevent you from seeing him clearly. We call that the betrayal trauma. If mm-hmm. you've ever been betrayed and uh, all abuse is betrayed, betrayal. Yes. So if you've been betrayed, you have a betrayal trauma, it actually physiologically affects your ability to accurately see another person. Okay. So that can be a factor. Yeah. So, your childhood definitely will affect you. But again, there are there are people who don't have any of these factors, who, who, who are perfectly healthy individuals who fall prey to love bombing and who fall prey to someone who's like a, a you know, a wise teacher who's going to teach you. And many times abusers take that stance. OK, mm-hmm. they're the expert. They're the teacher. They're going to take you under their wing and teach you. They're going to get you the better job. They're going to give you a promotion. The the stage is set already now for you. He's now on a pedestal and you're at least one step down. And that sets the stage for abuse in itself. Yes. So much that so much, all of that. Thank you for clarifying that. Cause I think that, I think it's so important because so many of us blame ourselves Yes, we, which, and we'll get to that, I think in a minute, right. But we do, we've like, what's wrong with me that I ended up here now? I mean, I work with a lot of clients who, you know, when I ask about their childhood, it's a completely predictable sort of, it's like a direct line (laughs) to the person that they're dealing with Um, and you can see it play out. But some of them are like, no, I had a great childhood. It was great. I literally have no idea how this happened. (laughs) Yeah. And so you talked about intentional abusers. What about unintentional abusers? What does that look like? The unintentional abuser is probably repeating either what he witnessed in his home. He's mm-hmm. repeating the way his father treated his mother or vice versa. Or he's repeating the way one of, one or both of his parents treated him. Right. And he doesn't really even know it's abuse. Okay. So that's the person that you finally confront him about his behavior, maybe as you're walking out the door. And he says, oh, my God, I didn't I didn't realize that you felt like that. I didn't realize that my behavior was was harming you this much. Hmm. This is the way I grew up. This is the way we treated each other growing up. And he's sincere. Now there's, there's the intentional abuser who can say the same thing and he's not sincere. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But, but I've actually worked with some men in particular who really didn't know their, their behavior was abusive. They really didn't. Yes. And these are the people who will say, again, the other type will also say it, but not sincerely. (laughs) I will do anything. Uh, I will work on myself. I'll go to therapy. I'll work on changing. Yes. And I've worked with some men who have done that. Right. They have worked on themselves and they did change. It's rare, but it does happen. So the unintentional abuser really isn't aware of the effect it's having on you, or he's not aware that it's even emotional abuse. And that that person can change. Right. And I think that's I, I think that's a, such an important distinction, right? Because so many clients and so many people that say to me, like, as soon as I told him I was done, he was like, wait, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll change. I'll go to therapy. And I say, great, great. Wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And very few of them yes. actually do. You know, yeah. I also say it might be too little too late. Like you may not right. have in you to trust him again. And that's okay. A lot of people say yeah. he went to therapy and he's doing the work. Yeah. I should stay. And I say, not necessarily. No, 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 no. Not if you've had it. It is very, it is true that very few go to therapy. And with the intentional abuser, like, for example, the narcissist, 
They might go to therapy, not likely, but they may start. But what's sad about that is that the narcissist in particular is almost incapable of being vulnerable, truly emotionally vulnerable. Right. So in therapy, what has to happen is you have to be able to trust your therapist. You have to be able to have an emotional connection with your therapist enough for you to be honest with him or her, Mm -hmm. for you to open up and talk about your horrible childhood and talk about where your abuse came from. But the typical narcissist has built such a powerful defense system. Uh, He's blown himself up. He's puffed himself up in order to protect his fragile ego Mm -hmm. and in order to protect himself from ever being shamed again. Mm -hmm. So it's excruciatingly painful for a person like that to burst their own balloon and be real and admit their vulnerabilities and it, it feel their pain and feel their shame. So very few can last. They might start, but most don't continue because they're almost incapable right. of letting those defenses down. Right. And they may say things in therapy to make that make themselves look good. And if the therapist yeah. doesn't really know the dynamic and the history or, you know, is not that, trained or doesn't have advanced training, they may not see it. They might miss it. Also, they tend to be very good actors. Yes. And so the therapy, they may show up for the therapy, but it kind of, but it doesn't, they don't, there's no change at home. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So why is it so hard for us to leave Beverly? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I say the main reason is because of the shaming that you've experienced, Mm -hmm. you know, which has, again, whittled away at your self-confidence, your self-concept, your ability to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. What I call debilitating shame and some people call toxic shame. Mm -hmm. It can be so severe that the repercussions are really horrendous. Most victims begin to just hate themselves. They're full of self-hatred and self-loathing and just disgusted with themselves because, again, they're blaming themselves. Some get become self-destructive with either self-mutilation or starting to depend on, on alcohol or drugs in order to cope. Self-neglect is a common reaction where you stop taking care of your own personal needs starving yourself, giving yourself inadequate nutrition, mm-hmm. uh, not getting rest or sleep. So you're just not even getting necessary dental and medical needs met. Mm-hmm. So you're not in very good shape if you've been emotionally abused for a while. Like I was saying, the, the depression and the isolation, as we've talked about, uh, most abusers don't want you sharing any of this with anybody. So they don't want, they're uncomfortable if you have friends or they're uncomfortable if you even have phone conversations with your family. And many victims feel ashamed that they're experiencing this. So more and more they become isolated. So you're here you are depressed, you're emotionally and physically depleted, you hate yourself. So how do you have the strength and the determination to pack up and leave? That's a huge step to take. Yes, it's a huge ask. Actually, it's a huge ask. Yes. Of someone who is at such an emotional deficit to find. Absolutely. I mean, look, it takes takes more strength, I think, than most people can imagine to leave a marriage that's okay, but just unsatisfying, right? Or Mm -hmm. just... Mm -hmm. Your needs aren't being met. You've grown apart, whatever, right? Irreconcilable differences. Even right. that takes such an incredible amount of strength right. to, to finally say, I can't do this anymore. The idea that someone who's in a deficit that great could yes. have that much strength plus everything to make up that deficit. It's, it's, it's a huge ask. Yes. Yes. That's the, yeah, that, to, to start all over. Yeah, to start your life all over. Well, and it, and it takes it takes the self esteem. You know, it's a it's a catch twenty two, right? Because right, you need, you need the self esteem that's been butchered in right. order to believe yourself worthy of more. Exactly. 
That's really a great way to say it. Yeah. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And then there's the threats. There's the, yes, the threats. Yes. If, if you threats. even think about leaving, there's the threats that, you know, I'm going to take those kids. You're never going to see them again. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to give you a penny. I'm going to tell people about all these bad things you've done, which, of course, you probably haven't done. Right. I'm going to destroy you in this community. Uh, if the woman has a career or has been out in the community, you know, she doesn't want her reputation destroyed. Okay. And and emotional abusers will go to those extremes. They will try oh, to oh. keep your, your kids away from you. They will destroy your reputation in the community. They will fight to not give you any money. So they're not, it's not just a, a an empty threat. They right. will do it and you know they will do it. So it's, that's another aspect of this. And so is that a reason to stay? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. But, but there's no way to, for, for a victim to know that. Okay. Right. Ahead of time. There's no way, you know, we can tell them if you go through the fire and you get to the other side, your life is going to be so much better. Mm-hmm. Your children's lives are going to be so much better, Yeah. but they, they may try to hear us, but they, how can they believe that? Yeah. How can they believe that going through all that it's going to take to leave this man? And many of them may still love him. Okay. So how can I, how can I go leave this man that I love? That is a good father. That's a good provider. We have this life together. We've built, we just bought a new house. We're planning on a vacation. How can I, how can I disappoint my children? who are looking forward to college or looking forward to this vacation or, you know, how can I go through that? Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, I hear it all the time and I'll say one of the, one of the, I have a Facebook group, Beverly, that's got, I don't know, close to 4,000 women in it right now. And the beauty of it is that you've got the support in there. So amazing because you do have women on the other side saying, you know what? It's true. It's true. And it's not just a therapist or a coach. It's women who have been through it saying it's hundreds of them at a time saying, no, 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 no. We got you. And I promise it's going to be so much better, you know, or, and like, yes, I went through that. Right. And I think that's one of the things that's so important is, is community and, and the support of people who actually get it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, it's so rare for us to have that. I didn't have it. I know when I was going through it, I didn't have that at all. Yeah. At all. So, yeah. So one thing I do encourage, I'm sure you do too, Mm -hmm. is when a woman is not ready yet, that she takes steps to get herself ready. Yes. And that might be that she tries to find, you know, even a Zoom meeting of other other survivors, Mm -hmm. that she go back to school if he'll allow her to. Uh-huh. Uh, that she goes back to school and, you know, if she doesn't have a career yet, that she goes back to school to start developing a career yeah. so that she can feel stronger and feel like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, if I get my AA degree, even if I get a nursing certificate, if I get this accounting, I can at least support my family. I can at least support my children. Going to getting some exercise, going to the gym, we can't go to the gym, but right. going to, <laughs> okay. you know, getting exercise will not because I have to lose weight because I'm fat the way he's told me and nobody else will ever want me, but because it'll make me feel good because the endorphins will make me feel good because I'll feel proud of myself. Yep. You know, taking some action, even if you're not ready yet. And of course, you're already depressed how, you know, I'm telling you to go exercise and you don't feel like it. I understand. But if you can do some action, believe me, that will help a lot. And yes, the support is really, really important. Yeah. I'll tell you what about the exercise. I do think I started kickboxing just before I left my marriage. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think it was a huge part of why and how I was able to. Yeah. Because there's so much power in that. Yes. You, know? yes. <laughs> you feel yes. like such a badass. You're kicking and, and punching and you're like, and the, you just, I just remember walking out of there feeling like, holy crap, I am like powerful. Yes. And taking that back in, I think it was really impactful. Yeah. You brought up a really important point. We haven't really talked about, I, I created a program 
a kind of a deprogramming program uh-huh. uh, to help heal shame. And it's in the book. And one of the steps is to start making friends with your anger, to give yourself permission to be angry. Uh, so many women, especially, are afraid of their anger. If you grew up with a, a rageaholic or you grew up with somebody who was always angry, you're, you may be afraid that you're going to become like that or you're going to become abusive if you get in touch with your anger. But it's actually going to be healthy for you. And it's going to feel very empowering if you start to express your anger. And you can start really slowly by just walking around the house and saying no out loud when nobody's there. Just saying no. Think about things he said to you and say no and say no out loud. Just getting in touch with that anger is extremely empowering. And you can work past your fear of your own anger. Uh, you don't ever have to literally confront him, but if you if that's one of your goals is to finally one day confront him, getting in touch with your anger and finding healthy outlets for it will certainly help you to do that. That's so important and it's so great. And and so how does that help heal shame? Because I know that's this is one of the the biggest sort of parts of this book of your book, right? right? right. Is about about shame being one of the most damaging aspects of emotional abuse. And so how does getting in touch with your anger, I know that's one of the key factors in healing your shame. How does anger, how does expressing your anger affect that? Well, anger is the opposite of shame. Shame is taking your, your anger and putting it on yourself. Shame is like taking your, it's like blaming yourself and internalizing any anger that you feel instead of externalizing it and putting it where it belongs. So self-blame is like, you know, I'm not going to even look at what he's doing. It's automatically going to be my fault. What I talk about with people is that there's like three kinds of people. One is the abuser who, if he's uncomfortable, he's anxious, the very first thing he's going to ask himself is, who made me feel this way? Uh-huh. Okay, and he's going to look out, and of course, the victim's going to be there. It's her fault. A victim, if she's anxious, she's uncomfortable, and she may ask herself, what's going on? Well, I must be doing something wrong. If there's something wrong in the relationship, I must be doing it. So it's immediately taking it in and blaming themselves. Now, what a healthy person does is she's uncomfortable, she's anxious. She asks herself, what's going on with me? And she really looks at her feelings, which in the book, I kind of help people to address their feelings because they may not be aware of their emotions. They kind of goes through your feelings and looks at what's going on with her. And she makes a distinction between what I need to do and what's my responsibility and what's going on outside of me that's causing it. So a healthy person has a balance of those two. She doesn't automatically blame herself. And she doesn't automatically blame her partner. Mm -hmm. Okay. So getting back to anger, anger is the opposite of shame in that you're, you're externalizing your anger. You're not putting it on yourself in the form of shame or guilt. Okay. And, and when you do that, you, you actually feel, you feel more powerful, but you actually feel lighter. You Mm. feel more motivated. You feel less depressed. Uh, it does all kinds of things to externalize that anger. Oh, it's so true. It's so it's so liberating. Yeah. And I think it you also talk about self-forgiveness. And I think that being able to express your anger and get the get the shame out and and transform it externally like that, yes, can sort of free you up for that forgiveness. Right, right. Right. Like we blame ourselves so much. Like what's wrong with me? Well, first of all, there's what's wrong with me. Why can't I be better so that he'll be okay? Right. Um, right. And then there's what's wrong with me that I'm in this relationship and right. that I can't get out. Right. There's just, and that, that's all, all the stuff that needs to be forgiven and, and released, but it can't when it's buried under that much shame. Yes, yes, yes. The other major factor in in healing shame is Mm self-compassion. Self-compassion neutralizes blame, self-blame and shame. It's like if you can even think about one person in your life who's been kind to you, one person who validated your feelings, 
That's great. What you can do then is think about how that person talked to you. How did that person talk to you? How did they encourage you? How did they let you know that they understood your feelings? And then talk to yourself with that same voice. Mm-hmm. Talk to yourself in that same kind voice. Now, some people can't even think of one person. Right. Uh, so then I ask them to think about somebody in, in a nonfiction book, a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was doing this exercise, I actually thought about Glenda, the witch, the, the, the witch of witch. the north in The Wizard of Oz. You know how she talked? Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> But she had this beautiful dress and she looked so sweet and so nice. So I envisioned her talking to me. Yes. Okay. So you might want to talk to yourself in the way you talk to your pet. Oh, there, there, there. Aren't you cute? Aren't you beautiful? But find a way to, to find a kind voice to speak to yourself in versus that critical, angry voice that you have that talks to you. Yeah. Kristen Neff, who was the first person to do really important research on self-compassion talks talks about how we need to create a nurturing inner voice to counter the critical, the self-critical voice. Yes. An internal nurturing voice. I just think that's beautiful. It takes time. It takes work to get that, but you start with thinking about how a person that's been kind to you has treated you and has spoken to you and then mimic it. If you have to just do what they said, treat yourself the way they treated you. So important. This is in my programs and and in my work with my clients is the first thing I do is help them access that. I call it the inner guide access Mm -hmm. that, that place because it's so true. Our inner critic, I always say it's like, you know, it's like muscles, right? We've got our, you know, our biceps and our triceps. We've got these sort of like opposing muscle groups and our, our critics tend to be like really strong biceps, like guns. Right. But our, and our, our guides tend to be so very weak triceps that we've like forgotten to work out. And so we have to build that muscle so that it's, you know, strong enough to counteract these critics that we have, especially if we've been abused, we've been programmed, as you say, programmed in this way. Our critics are nothing more than the manifestation of all of that outside stuff. I mean, it's internal too, but right. It's like, it's always mirroring and echoing the voices of all the other people in our lives who've (laughs) told us that we're pieces of shit one way or another. Right. Right. Yeah. So accessing that, whatever you want to call it, right. I call it in in my work and, you know, just that, and, you know, some people have trouble, they have, people will legitimately have a really hard time accessing it. And I love what you said yeah. about thinking about other, other forms, whether it's a fictional character or, and sometimes I'll say, how would you talk to your daughter? What mm-hmm. would you say if this was your daughter going through it? And it's like a boom, like, oh my God, I, I would, and they become so nurturing and kind and loving. And I'm like, okay, yes. now turn that. <laughs> That's exactly. Exactly. That's a great example. Yeah. Whatever way in is the best way in. Whatever works, works, right? Right, right. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Beverly, thank you so much. Is there anything, any other final words of wisdom that you want to leave people with? Yeah, I just want to say that if if you can't leave yet, uh, or if you choose, if you decide you can, can never leave, please don't shame yourself for it. You have good reasons. Okay, you have good reasons that why it feels so impossible. And it may be permanent that you can't leave, or it may be that like we both talked about, maybe if you do certain things like get support, get exercise, go back to school, maybe you can get to the place where you can do it. But don't shame yourself. It's completely understandable. Self-compassion is like saying it's understandable that I am this way. Yes. It's understandable that I'm having a hard time. It's understandable why I chose him. So getting to the place where you, you know it's understandable and, and don't shame yourself for it. Mm-hmm. That's just going to add to your problems. Okay. That's, yeah. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And what would you say to someone who really can't, can't leave? Like how can they, how can someone who can't leave or has chosen that like they just, they're just not going to. How can they fulfill themselves in a way that they don't feel like they've 
somehow lost themselves in their lives. Well, I encourage them to create a separate life, if at all possible. Create a separate life by keeping a journal, by trying to make some new friends, again, by getting an outside activity, getting a hobby, uh, exploring their artistic side. A lot of people are able to express a tremendous amount of emotions by painting or by working with clay. Find an outlet and find a way to create a whole separate life. I have had clients who stayed and they just created their own life. They, when he comes home, they act a certain way. Uh, they, you know, they try to please him as much as possible, knowing that they really can't. But when he's not there, they have a whole separate life. That's really great. I love that. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, this is so. I feel like I, I, I want to talk to you for like the next month about all of this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll just have to be back on. Well, that'd be great. So tell, tell everyone where they can find you and buy your book. The link to the, to the book will be in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. They can, they can buy the book at any online bookseller, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever, or an independent bookstore would be great. You can reach me directly at Beverly Angle, oh, Beverly at beverlyangle.com. That's my email address. Mm-hmm. And I have a website that's www.beverlyangle.com. And I encourage you to also go to my website, healyourshame.com. Great. I also have a blog on psychology today. And actually, what, what came out just a couple of days ago was a blog on shame and emotional abuse. So okay. you might want to check that out. Now, is it healmyshame.com or healyourshame.com? Because I have both. Well, I think <laughs> I, it's Heal My Shame. Heal My Shame. Maybe but, you can try the other one. No, no, no. Heal My Shame <laughs> is what I have. You said Heal Your Shame first for the first time. So okay, okay, did I today? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's okay. healmyshame.com. Yeah, just want to double check. Yeah. It. Again, we'll put all yeah. of this in the show notes. Okay, great. Beverly, thank you so much. I so appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom about this topic. It is so important and unfortunately so prevalent. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember... You, my love, deserve to be happy.